We got a lot of OpenAI stuff to talk about today, so just buzz through this really quickly, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, welcome to the Internet Plumber Podcast, where we hang out, hang, hang out on the internet as a pastime, so you guys don't have to, or at least so that you guys maybe do it a little bit less. Episodes drop weekly, you can catch those wherever you catch your podcasts, and if you're like me and prefer to watch them, you can catch them on YouTube and Spotify, because Spotify does video now. I did not know that. I opened up the Spotify yeah. thing, and I was like, oh, damn, this is a video. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it shows how much I use Spotify. I just hit shuffle. Isn't that thanks it. to... Isn't that thanks to Rogan? Probably. Oh, know. probably. I think he was the only one for a while that had that. Yeah. It's actually a really interesting, this is a, a complete pivot. There's a really interesting journalist that I follow called, his name's Johnny Harris. And he does this awesome episode on the science. I don't know it's the science behind Joe Rogan, but it's like how Joe Rogan got to be <laughs> Joe Rogan. It's the interesting to see how he got to where he is now. I recommend everybody watch it. Um, my name's Elise. I'm one of your many hosts. I'm the client partner here at Input Logic, and that's Nash in the background. If you're watching on video, oh yeah, Big there old, he is. Uh, old lion looks like a bobcat. He's a dog. <laughs> I swear. Actually, I have Noodle here today. I should do an intro with her. You guys go ahead. I'm getting Noodle. <laughs> noodle, come here. I introduce myself. Yeah. Oh, hey, I'm Sean one of the oh i'm ceo at input logic and the design half of the founding team here little tangent but like i don't know it seemed like tech companies in the past were started by a designer and a coder so it was totally normal when gavin and i started this 12 years ago but now it's more like an mba and a technical co-founder i don't know that okay. seems to be the, the path um but anyway designer half here yeah so i'm the developer half cto at input logic one of the co-founders. This is Noodle. Say hi, Noodle. Hi, Noodle. <laughs> Noodle is the, the purest of all doodles. She really is. Amazing. Wonderful. Go ahead, Kristen. Oh, I'm Kristen. I work in growth, so I'm like a spreadsheet-brained marketing person on the input team. Previous startup life. Yeah. That's us. Oh, yeah. That's I think we'll who probably we are. have some rotating guests every week. This week, you're stuck with us again, but got some interest on the team of people to pop in and do some guest appearances. So as I think that'll be fun. These, yeah. Mm -hmm. Have some new faces, new voices. Yeah. I was kind of hoping Corey would be on this one so we could talk about the Lycra. I'm getting into the list already or it's not a Lycra. Oh, it's a Lycra. Okay. I'm not a, I'm not a camera person. This is why we're <laughs> <meeting> Corey. <laughs> we'll get into it though. I'm getting ahead of myself. That's like the third item down. Yeah, we can hop into these links, pull them up. Uh, if you don't get our newsletter, you can sign up for that on our website at inputlogic.ca, but we'll drop all of the links to newsletter sign up and then I guess everything else in the descriptions below. So if you're looking to see what we're looking at, you can either watch side by side or check out the links. Let me pull these bad boys up. We can jump in. It's like a lazy agenda. I really like it. Agenda Put this together and yeah, we don't have to, it is a good band name. <laughs> we don't have to like come up with an agenda. I was prepped for this week because last week I didn't realize that we were actually going to bring up the newsletter email that we we're just talking about it. So I'm, I'm, oh, I'm locked and loaded. Oh, yeah. Should I bring I the newsletter like, up? I guess you could. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. You can show it. Yeah. Think. So for those listening, it's probably better engagement if you're watching it because you can actually see the stuff we're looking at. We'll do our best to describe what, what, what we're viewing, but. You'd probably be better off with a video. Yeah. Be as also, as possible. last week I just looked extremely unprepared 
but that was the premise. I'm supposed to come in blind. I'm not supposed <laughs> to look at the links ahead of time. We figured somebody hosting should maybe experience the information for the first time. So it's not just that I didn't prepare for the meeting, everybody. Thanks. Yeah, it's not your like, reflective of your general state of preparedness. I got a comment on LinkedIn. This is so vintage, Sean. I'm like, what? <laughs> like that. It's funny. Kristen, do you want to do a quick newsletter? Yeah. Yeah. The newsletter is, I don't want to use the word lazy, but it is a little bit that we were like trying to come up with a way to put something out weekly with minimal effort. That's reflective of our team vibe. So we just capture a bunch of things that the team has been sharing and talking about every week. And we send them out every Friday afternoon in the world's most minimal format. So if you're watching, you can see it on the screen right now. It's about 10 links and they're super short and we just link to a bunch of things. Some are products, some are design things, some are random YouTube videos. It's usually a good mix. And because it's kind of reflective of what's happening on the internet and that our team is interested in, serves as a good little agenda for this podcast too. Yeah. So we, I guess we put the work in the week prior. We'll, we do all the planning mm-hmm. Fridays for today. <laughs> What I love about it is it's just sort of like this organic collection of stuff that the team shares too. It's not like, it's not, what should I say? Kristen and Elise don't go out hunting for this stuff. It's just sort of a collection of like, oh, that was dropped in the channel. That looks interesting, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's, it's kind of cool. It's pretty reflective of our team. It's very random. Yeah. Yeah. Can we All right. jump into it? Like, let's it. yeah, let's do it. Did you pull up the cinder cone already? Why I not did. build a skate park with your friends? I really want to build a skate park with my friends, but anyway. This Foster this is, Huntington guy. Sorry, This go is ahead. right up your, your alley, Sean. Yeah, so the Cinder Cone was a project in 20, 2014, I think, and it was a small group of friends who just built a treehouse, like a cool treehouse in the gorge in Washington. It looks awesome. It's a, it's a sweet project. The video is pretty long, but if you like really good music and cool design and, I don't know, treehouses? It was an interesting watch. I checked it out and they didn't mess around with that treehouse. I was thinking like, okay, a treehouse, like you got like some two by fours and stuff, but man, they put in like, I don't, I, I'm not a construction person, but like proper big iron support beams through like the I-beams. tree and stuff. Yeah, man, it was like a full on structure. You could live in there. I was impressed. Yeah. They have a little quarter pipe bowl in there too. Do some little drop-ins. <laughs> yeah, that's there. crazy. What a fun time. Can you just visit? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I should hope so. You can't do yeah. all that and not have people drop in. Come on. What's the yeah, point? Yeah. <laughs> well, Foster Kickstarter book. Yeah, the guy who made it, Foster Huntington, is like a semi-famous van lifer before he was in the tree houses. I followed him on Instagram and I don't know, he did van things. That's the world's most van life name. Foster it really Huntington. is. <laughs> yeah, it totally is. <laughs> when I was at Disney, I had a coworker and his name was and he was from the States. He worked down in Glendale, but his name was Forrest and his last name was Guider, but his middle name was Freedom. I mean, shout out Forrest Freedom Guider if he's listening, <laughs> but coolest name ever. I'll never forget that name. Jealous. Where do we want to start Not with this yet. one? <laughs> oh man, do we even want to get into this? This is like AGI stuff. I, I shared it with the team. And if, if you don't know what AGI is, it's like an extension of AI. It stands for Artificial General Intelligence, which is essentially the ability to give a computer a task and you don't have to be specific about it. You could be like, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, you could be like, build me a car. And then it would be like, okay, how do I build a car? It starts at step one. What is a car and talks to itself or other 
hosts or LLMs within its brain and figures out the task and keeps going until the task is complete in its eyes. So this auto RPG, this guy takes, I forget the name of the 2D game engine that he's using. I think it's just like RPG maker or something like that. Gives it a sprite sheet, which is, if you don't know what a sprite sheet is, it's just a bunch of like small drawings for like 2D game art and says here, like, this is kind of the level I want, but like have at it, you know, basically doesn't give it anything else. And then shows in the video, if you go to the link in the newsletter, shows it in real time, the AGI building the level. And it goes through iterations where it's like, okay, let's lay the grass. No, I don't like that grass layout. Rebuilds. Let's put this building over here. No, I don't really like that. And just like restructures this whole level until it has a fully playable uh, level in this RPG maker, including NPCs, which is non-player characters that you can talk to, that have a backstory, have dialogue. They didn't enter any of it. I can't remember if he used auto AGI or baby AGI, but whatever the case, he's one of those. So crazy. And it's yeah. like, I mean, it's already somewhat real, but this is a step toward the future where we all make our own video games as we play them, yeah. get our own content, like to suit our very specific niche interests. So yeah. Like how Spotify has fragmented everyone's musical tastes like we all listen to the long tail of our own musical interests i bet if you ask your five closest friends what their top five bands are there'll be so little overlap in them mm. we're all sort of listening to our own hand-picked playlists now i guess we'll all be playing our own hand-picked niche video games and and consuming our own niche podcasts Shout out. Anyway, that's kind of interesting. Uh, one note, Gavin, when you shared this auto RPG, uh, you didn't specifically call out that the link is auto RPG and it's an article on Medium. Let's try and call the links out as we go for those who are not watching. Oh, okay. Yeah, let's do it. I was trying to bait the subscription. I'll be like, go get that newsletter, damn it. Now you get the link. <laughs> this is way easier. Yeah. <laughs> um, Corey's asking Santa for this Leica. You already dropped the Leica. You mentioned it, but the Leica M11P looks pretty gorgeous. Can somebody explain to me who's a little more of a photo nut than I am why Leicas are amazing? Um, I have a Fuji X-T100 or something, and it looks similar to a Leica. I know it doesn't have the brand ballerness that a Leica has, but does anyone know? I don't. And I the don't. embarrassing part <laughs> of this is that I went to university and my degree is in photography. Um, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> but I, I blacked those years out, I guess. Uh, five years, that's gone. <laughs> I actually don't know. It looks like a cool camera, though. Looks like it connects to your phone somehow. Is it just the build quality? I mean, they've been around forever and they've always been very respected. Could be that. Right. Yeah. And they're super yeah. sexy. So really maybe it's just, just yeah. Mm. That's why we need Corey. Let's see how it. Yeah, Corey should be. He's a big photographer. Guest soon, yeah. Oh, we can get. He's our, our well, He's one of our front end devs and also our resident photographer. Photographer. He shoots yeah. a ton of beautiful film stuff. Yeah, it'd be great. Yeah, to have he's been in National Geographic and Lonely Planet. Yeah. Corey Shad. So Look cool. him up on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> you know how much these cameras are before we? Oh my gosh, these are more expensive than the sconces. Much. Yeah, we link to a lot of expensive stuff. I gotta say, <laughs> should we uh, link to more affordable things? <laughs> it's just things we're looking at on the internet, a... not buying. 
is Euros. This is why we let someone drop a four thousand dollar toilet into the channel the other day. That didn't make the newsletter, but it certainly made a splash, a flush in the channel. Yeah. What is this TL draw? TL draw. Mm. Uh, oh man, it's so it cool. Did you see this? This is wild. So TL draw oh. is like a whiteboarding tool, and they have this AI generation feature where you. I don't know how to explain this. In the video, someone was messing around with this and they created a little like a scale and a rotation um, slider. And then with AI, turned them into interactive components instantly. Oh. It's so kind of rad. insane. Yeah. It's like the next level mock-up machine. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. We're not far from Figma to code, like no. Figma to work in code using AI. Like, I feel like we're months from that. If somebody might've done it already and I just don't know about it. Or even like when they- natural language to Figma, to code, to live prototype. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's getting pretty wild. We're all gonna be out of a job next year. Yeah, <laughs> so this podcast needs to work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is our, yeah. we're gonna be influencers in about six months. <laughs> yeah. Um, what, we're influencing high purchases. That's all we're doing. <laughs> yeah, we get a kickback on those referrals. <laughs> Buy that like amazing. What is the AI manslater? Oh, I did see oh, yeah. this one. This one is pretty good. This one's pretty good. This is hilarious. I gotta download this. What is it? Yeah, I I saw it, but I didn't download it. I'm doing it right yeah, now. Yeah, actually, I don't know. It has different artwork. I'm gonna pull it up on my phone because uh yeah, I they changed see, but it. the app store copy is so good. I found this on Product Hunt. Oh yeah, Ultimate AI Riz. I thought that was the best copy I'd ever seen. <laughs> so the AI Manslator is an app that translates what men and women say for each other. Yeah, it's oh. pretty crazy. So let me see. Like the ones you read a girl's mind. Cool. Yeah. If I say I'm hungry, yeah. that means translating buy me food. That tracks. <laughs> yeah. And this also This one's really good. Yeah, it inspired uh, me because a lot of people ship products that are kind of insane and they put them out on Product Hunt and they're living their best life. And some of us are obsessing over tiny details pre-launch. And, you know, people are out there doing stuff. Emphatic AI comes to the rescue. I don't even know what that means. But it's great. I do like this translation, promises. though. She says, yeah. I'm fine. And it means... Everything sucks and you're the one to blame. I wrote, what should we have for dinner is what she said. And it says, tell me I'm beautiful. <laughs> what? Very powerful. Is, I don't think a woman made this app. This trang, <laughs> I'm guessing this is a man. Who knows? I, I have so many questions. Like I would love to see the user data. What are people putting into this? Do you think these are AI art, like auto-generated? Or did they make them? You know, like, is, it, is that like a Dolly art? Probably. Yeah, because it's subtly different. Like they're close, but they're not identical. So I'm like, oh, that could be some dolly art. I once downloaded a cat translator app. I don't know if you've ever seen this, <laughs> and I think it was like a research project out of some university, and it really didn't work. First of all, my cat doesn't say very much, so there's not a lot to translate. <laughs> but I'm hopeful for a future where AI can help. Yeah, just the caller. Oh, that'd be so good. Yeah, I love that. It'd probably just be annoying, like food, scratch. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) This happy browsing link that goes to searchsystem.co. Cool, really neat, like designy stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I get it. I'm inspired by this hundred. 
That's because you're a coder. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's just a bunch of designy stuff to nerd out on. Beautiful objects that you can look at and feel bad about yourself for not creating yourself, you know? Okay. <laughs> anyway, I wanted to skip over this one and jump to the Opal Tadpole because I have opinions about this one, actually. Mm -hmm. No shade on Opal, but I'm going to throw some. The When the first Opal camera came out, I was like, oh, rad, a cool webcam for my monitor. I mean, I use an Apple Studio display and the webcam is meh, it's okay. It's pretty good. So I was excited about the Opal, but then I started to read the reviews. Actually, most like, I think, did Kyle Erickson, former team member who went on to YouTube fame, do a review of the Opal. Somebody I trust did a review of the original Opal and it wasn't great. They're like, this is not much better than like a studio display or an iMac hmm. camera. And then people were complaining about it. It constantly disconnects, blah, blah, blah. You had one job. So anyways, I wasn't stoked. And then they just made it smaller and on a string. I'm like, it doesn't sound like, to me, I would have been like the next big thing I heard from Opal should have been, hey, we fixed all the shit that wasn't working, you know? But instead they're like, we <laughs> yeah. made it smaller and put it on a string. So that's my opinion of this product that I've actually never used. I'm sorry. It kind of looks one of those, yeah. I don't know if you've seen them, but they're car air fresheners, but they're shaped like little, little vinyl, like record players. And then all of the records you put on are smells. This is exactly what it looks like to me. I have not seen that. Oh. It, those are pretty, pretty cool. I need to find one. Yeah, I was going to say, this one's really neat. I mean, this product looks insanely sexy. If anyone yeah, has the website's likes beautiful. It, can you please comment and... I think I remember hearing the original one overheats a lot too. Is that Opal? So it would overheat and shut off kind of weird behaviors. I guess if you are like a streamer on the go, like I'm trying to think of the use case here where you need a webcam, but you need it to be really portable. You're traveling a lot, but your camera quality really matters. I assume you can plug it into your phone, right? I don't know. I don't know. Well, it says USB-C, so as yeah. long as you have a new phone, you could. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Oh. Oh. It looks gorgeous. The website is gorgeous. Mm -hmm. It's coded really well. I mean, the mm -hmm. website. The animation is amazing. It's lovely work, so I see why I made the newsletter. But I have it's my It's also doubts. affordable. <laughs> it's the first affordable thing that we posted, I think. Oh, okay. All right. It's only 175 bucks compared to 9,000 euro. Yeah. <laughs> way better. The <laughs> the affordability here is excellent. Is this podcast just a take on the shopping network? Pretty much. Yeah, have you seen, I think it's in China, this influencer who maybe you've seen these TikTok videos. She goes on streaming and she just has one product after another and she lifts them up like one second at a time. Like, here's a thing. Here's a thing. Here's a thing. <laughs> and she gets paid an insane amount of money and everything just appears for a second. It's like completely really? optimized. I got to find this and we can have it next week. Because that's the future of e-commerce. I will say this week we got a lot of really nice websites. Everything's mm -hmm. looking beautiful. Yeah. You know, we must have been mining criteria. the design channel for these links. Uh, yeah, Chroma, a nice alternative to Pinecone. Gavin, did you share this one? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's an embedding database, like a vector database for doing it. So the biggest issue with AI right now is it's what's called its context window, the amount of memory it has. If you give it too much memory, it has, everybody calls them hallucinations. It starts talking about shit that isn't true because it forgets. So uh, using a vector database is like essentially a way to take a bunch of that information, put it into an efficient database, and then you can do faster lookups 
And the only real difference between that versus a standard, like full text search database is just this efficiency to find familiarities. The way a vector works is like, it's essentially like it turns your information into strings of numbers. And then you could say it's really easy to show similarities because if the numbers are close or in groups or in clumps, you can say, okay, find me all stuff related to this. And it's really efficient. So it'll just be like, oh, just show me the surrounding vectors on this topic. Mm -hmm. This is really interesting stuff. Yeah. Is it something we use Sweet. for Stilo? Do we need a vector database? Yes. I haven't implemented it. Yes. Yeah. And that's why I had discovered Chroma. I was looking at like Pinecone, Chroma, Weavery or something is the other one. Weavery. Yeah. Weavery, something like that. And I've really liked Chroma so far. So that's what I've been using. Well, Another Chroma shout out, Anton, who is the founder, co-founder. He did a really good series with Packy McCormick on YouTube where I think it's called like Anton teaches Packy AI and oh, it's wow. several episodes long. They're like an hour each. And he goes really deep into explaining a lot of technical stuff for a non-technical audience. Yeah. Cool. Rad dude. Cool. cool. I guess I can drop it in the show notes because we have show notes now. We have show oh, notes. Oh yeah. Wait, where right. do those end up? Oh, you mean like in the description? And yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sweet. YouTube or Spotify or wherever. So this, can we talk about this next link? This, why do we only play piano and MR? What is MR? Merged reality? Well, Not augmented mixed reality? reality? What is mixed mixed yeah. reality. Thank you. All right. So how are they seeing? So for those of you listening, this is a an augmented reality guitar lesson thing where it's lighting up frets and strings that you can touch in front of your face. Now, is this person wearing a headset? How are they seeing yeah. this? Yeah, they'd pr there's probably the Oculus 3 or something. Everybody's oh. using that for this new mixed reality stuff. So I would guess that's what they're using. I mean, this looks insanely useful as far as tabs go. Like often I just have the tabs app on my phone and I put it on my knee and my legs a little slippery and I'll be trying to play sitting on a chair and it'll <laughs> fall off on the floor. I'll be like, oh, lean over and pick up my phone. This looks super helpful. Yeah, this is cool. yeah being able to see each fret, it's almost like the next iteration of Guitar Hero where you see the stream of stuff you're supposed to do on the screen, but now this is right next lined up with your fretboard. That's what it's called, right? A fretboard. I'm not a guitarist. Yeah. Uh, and being able to being able to play along with it, it's like, yeah, it being right there. It's like a music teacher bending his arm and saying, Kate, now follow me. <laughs> you know, it's like this awkward position. It's pretty you know, follow this guy on Twitter, Sergey Galkin, who shared this. Like, pretty rad. I mean, I think it's super innovative. Is that something they're doing? Whoa. Oh, he's on a MetaQuest 3, it looks like. Yeah, that's the Are question. Are you guys going to get a... Called that. The Obviously. Apple Vision oh. Pro? Obviously. I thought we said Quest 3, but yes, both. Yeah. <laughs> we just yeah. buy all the Apple products as they come out. Yeah. Well, I mean, being an app company, we kind of have to test them. So it's a bit of a For sure. Yeah, test. Yeah. So we tell the accountant. We went to a, a VR experience on Friday night in Vancouver. And we've done VR before, but this one was way more like we walked around a lot. Like you were in this huge room. It was a crazy experience. I've done VR where like, you usually stand still mm -hmm. and shoot zombies and stuff, but this one was really immersive. Had a great time. I love the mix. Were there zombies? Stuff. Yeah, zombies. And it was for it was an adult birthday party. It was the best birthday party ever. That's awesome. I've, I've always wanted to try. Has anybody tried those escape rooms? But it's VR. There's one in town here where you can. It's it's a VR Ooh. escape room. It sounds interesting because I've done a lot of escape rooms and they're really fun. But they're obviously limited in like detail and size and stuff. And some of them are really good. But still, I can imagine like a mixed VR one or even a full VR one 
being super immersive. And yeah, anyway, I've been wanting to try one. There is That's one local sweet. here. It's good homework. I've never done that. Yeah, super fun. It's so hard to look cool doing VR though. I mean, I guess if everyone's doing it, but this is, I used to go to CES and I always remember there'd be like the VR zone and there'd just be all these mostly dudes with the VR headsets on fighting zombies or something. And anyway, it was really fun to just stand there and watch for a while. Uh, that's true. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's good stuff. People watching at its best. Well, it'd be better if it was like, that should almost be a VR headset app. It's like a people watching app where you're just downtown New York or something sitting on a bench. You get a people watch, but that's mm -hmm. the game. Oh, I thought of yeah. the first killer app for it. The Sometimes it's fun to sit in a public place in a city, watch people go by and make up stories about who they are. That's Diane. She's a lawyer <laughs> with one of the big five legal in town. She makes 300K a year and is in an unhappy marriage and is, that you know, app. like, yeah. So anyway, so you could make that app and use AI to come up yeah. with the fictional stories about the people walking by. It'd be really entertaining. Just like, it would be super entertaining. I'm really excited to pivot and talk about the open AI drama. I don't know if anyone else has been obsessing over this for three or four days. Completely. Um, the, I'm going to do my best to throw a summary out of the events so far. It's Tuesday this morning when we're recording this. So as of Friday, the four-person board of OpenAI, our favorite and best and most successful AI company in the world, the closest to bringing us AGI apparently. Anyway, the board fires the CEO, Sam Altman, co-founder and co-founder of Y Combinator, super successful operator. And from what I can tell, the sentiment on Twitter about this guy is he's a super straight shooter and everybody loves him. So the, yeah, so they summarily fire him without an explanation. And then the president, chairman also quits, Greg quits in protest. And then there's just kind of silence. People are like, what? And then Microsoft finds out. Microsoft just put 10 billion through uh, OpenAI. And I think the deal may not be totally settled or something. I, I could be wrong about that. But anyways, first, how do you fire the CEO and not tell your largest investor or any of your investors, like Coslo Ventures, a number of other investment firms are in on this. So anyways, the investors freak out. They're like, Sam comes back, please. The board's got to resign. This was a major cock up. And so the investors start putting pressure that way. So then it seems like maybe Sam's coming back to open AI. But then while they're negotiating that, suddenly the board just goes rogue again and hires Emmett Shear, former Twitch founder, as CEO of OpenAI. And I actually left out one part in that, like they named Mira Murati the CTO of OpenAI as CEO interim when they fired Sam. And she's a super bright woman. Everything I've gathered online about her in relation to OpenAI, she's a brilliant developer and a great leader and people love her and would actually have been a great successor to Sam. But then they fire her and bring in Emmett Shear from Twitch. <laughs> like the dude, you know, sold his company for a billion to Amazon. Sure, making a video streaming service. But, oh, and he's famously like kind of an AI doomer a little bit. So anyway, that was interesting. So we're like, oh, Sam's not back. But then Satya Nadella from Microsoft comes in and says, Sam, Greg, come on in. We'll give you guys jobs and any open AI employees who want to join us. So 
boom, suddenly there's an announcement that Sam now works for Microsoft, heading up a new AI research lab along with Greg. And then uh, in another major twist, a letter comes out and 700 of the 770 OpenAI employees demand Sam comes back or they'll walk, including Ilya, the chief scientist at OpenAI, who was part of the original coup with the board to vote Sam out. So now people are going, wait, we thought maybe they had discovered AGI and Ilya was like pushing on the brakes and Sam was pushing on the gas. So Ilya sided with the board to boot him out. But like Ilya wouldn't be flipping sides if that was the real concern. So what happened here? And the board's been totally silent for days. Nobody knows why. So here we are. Did I miss anything, Kristen? Yeah, I guess a couple, really good summary. <laughs> a couple little things. So they did tell Microsoft 60 seconds before they made the call to Sam, apparently. So they gave them a one minute seconds. heads up. And I think Microsoft, <laughs> yeah, which I think Microsoft owns, I want to say it's a minority stake anyway in OpenAI, like 48% or something. Yeah. yeah. Okay. They've put in 10 plus billion dollars. Some of that is in just like Azure credits. So it's a mix of like cash and compute. But anyway, Got major stakeholder. Type of credits. Yeah. I love those credits. Are there zero credits though? I mean, Are they they're worth something though. And so... Pain in my ass. <laughs> but they don't have any presence on the board. So Microsoft obviously is pretty mad about this. They were allegedly furious. I think Satya was allegedly also behind a lot of the wheeling and dealing over the weekend to try and come up with a solution. I listened to an interview with him yesterday too, and it sounds like he hasn't been given any direct reason as to why they fired Sam, which right now continues to be the mystery because most of the opinion of people in the, you know, the tech industry, people that are watching this is that Sam is in the right. Everyone wants Sam restored. He's a great guy. He's very well liked and very well respected. And it's not clear what the reason is. There was an internal memo I think that the board released or someone on the board, I don't know, to OpenAI employees saying there was no malfeasance, like there's no criminal activity. So it was just a breakdown in communication that led to their decision to fire Sam. But like, what does breakdown in communication mean? And there have been a couple people, I, I think it might be like internal anonymous sources to reporters who have said that there were two instances. So one was where Sam had given the same project to two different people. And then another one was where he had been inconsistent in his evaluation of an employee when speaking to two different board members. I mean, both of those seem really weak. So the weird mm -hmm. thing is that the board has, whatever their reason is, they've not made it public and they're really not making their case externally. So the sentiment against them is pretty strong right now. I mean, most of the employees want to leave or want the decision overturned and they want the board to resign. All this drama is going on. I mean, all this value is at stake. And then you think also of the wider ecosystem that's already built on top of OpenAI tooling. Mm -hmm. Like the impact is just kind of insane. And, and even for us, right? We have a product that relies on OpenAI tooling and we're kind of like, oh, how stable is this right now? If all the employees are resigning, what do we do? Yeah, we're literally spinning up. Is it Llama 2, like a backup? LLM to keep the lights on in case shit goes down. What do we do here? And in an interesting twist, which I think is hilarious, Mark Benioff from Salesforce put out an open offer to any open AI employees that want to join Salesforce on an AI task force. 
And I mean, I'm just going to let that hang. <laughs> yeah. Let's call that a PR move. It's a good way to get your, we're hiring tweet, retweet, yeah. right? That's a good point. A lot of <laughs> yeah. the other job board is out there. It's floating around. People like us are talking about it. But I mean, in Mark's defense, like, I think you're going to need AGI to really understand what's going on in the Salesforce dashboard. <laughs> yeah. That's very true. I, I hope that it can accomplish more than that, though. The world's greatest CRM. <laughs> is that what they? Is that what they call themselves? Oh no, I'm just oh like their marketing slogan is the world's greatest CRM. That'd be incredible. Oh, should we be the world's greatest app company? It has a nice ring to it. Yeah. 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 It's got a sort of imperialist vibe. I mean, why not? Yeah, the whole thing is kind of wild though, and it's also like bringing to the forefront this battle within the wider industry. I don't even know if battle is too strong a word anymore between people who are like EAC accelerationists and mm-hmm. the like doomers, D cells slash safetyists, I guess, depending on how you want to present their case and questions about how fast we should go and who should be in charge. And it seems to me that we're only going to get more and more of this as the stakes get higher. So sort of an important ideological political struggle for power and the narrative the, I guess what's most interesting to me is that whatever the reason the board had, they've lost control of the narrative and maybe more information will emerge and we'll hear another story. And maybe this isn't about like speed and safety, who knows, but that's kind of what most people seem to be talking about. So mm-hmm. yeah, pretty crazy. Yeah, I have this loosely held opinion that I'm starting to see appear on Twitter a little bit is that maybe we've already achieved AGI, maybe GPT-4 or 5 are already, but like, it just doesn't feel magical, so we don't recognize it. Like, what if the thing is sentient? You know, we're just chatting with it. I'm pulling a like, what was that Google coder's name who thought the thing was sentient? And yeah, that was a couple yeah, years detecting ago. detecting consciousness. Re- yeah, the it's things were still thing. kind of dumb. But anyway, Like, I feel like we'll achieve, if we haven't achieved AGI already, like we're going to achieve something that feels close enough to sentient that it won't really matter. Like the things are going to feel sentient long before they are sentient. Mm. And like, there's just going to be this like transition period where it's like, oh, all the AI is really smart and we're living with autonomous beings and that's just normal and we see them as machines or machine buddies. I don't know. Oh, I like machine buddies as a band name. Machine buddies. Mm, that's good. good. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think too, that it depends on where you draw the line to define AGI. Like one of the definitions would require AGI to be smarter than humans, like even the smartest mm-hmm. humans. So it should be able to discover new physics or tell us things about the world that we don't already know rather than right now, GPT-4, and other LLMs are kind of reflecting existing human knowledge back to us and, mm-hmm. you know, they maybe can't self-test it. and confirm. Yeah. yeah. So who knows? I mean, there was that famous Reddit post that Sam made saying AGI has been achieved internally, which I think was a joke. Maybe not. I don't know. That, that was only a like, few weeks before this. It wasn't that long ago, but yeah. I feel like it, it doesn't sound like, like that was it. I think that's what led potentially to the firing and nobody's allowed to talk about it. My hunch is that GPT-5 became too close to Sentient or AGI that they're like, oh my God, we can't release this because this is going Mm. to be like world changing. And Sam's going like, 
no, we're fucking releasing it. That's what we came here to do. And everybody else is like, nope, I'm not okay with this. And he gets booted because it was like a security risk. That's my assumption, but nobody's allowed to talk about it. I was and thinking that, but then why would Ilya flip? Sides. Yeah. Well, maybe it's like if we've achieved AGI and it's going public, either through Microsoft or through whoever, I want to be on the winning side that releases this. I don't want to be standing outside watching totally. this all play out. Mm. You know? Yeah, Ilya could have been involved saying, no, let's not do it. But then they're going like, oh, this is an exit. And he's like, well, if I don't follow, I have less control over this whole thing in general. So if they're going to put it out there, I at least want my hands on this product or this system. So I, I think his, I we... his jumping boards I, is not totally indicative of uh, his actual choices or actions. I know we talked a little bit about this on our Monday call. We have a, a Monday team call where we all, uh, you know, hang out for an hour before the work week. But it, it was an, I think it's, inter- it might be interesting for some of our listeners. I know my, my partner in particular, he, I mean, he still thinks that I work in IT, which isn't what I do, but it could be interesting <laughs> to, to talk about what the, I guess, scary parts are for people and why there's hesitancy and then the accelerate part of it too. Because I don't know, the conversation on Monday was quite interesting. There's two pretty drastic sides here of how people feel. You want to talk about that mm. for a bit? Why is it so yeah, scary? I think, Kristen, I think you did a good job laying out the two sides, the EAC side and the, the sort of desail doomer side. Yeah, I can try. I'm very online. So I just <laughs> compare it a few talking points, I guess. So it, it's a really complicated question. And I think very smart people are very divided for a reason, uh, because it's not clear what the right approach is. But the steel man doomer narrative is that we don't know. We don't know what AGI will be capable of. And, and we don't know how fast we'll reach it. If you think about an exponential growth curve, it could happen very suddenly. And this is like the, the fast takeoff idea where, you know, we're increasing our capabilities over a, a somewhat linear looking curve, and then it goes exponential very quickly. And mm-hmm. we could lose control very quickly. And the kind of scary scenario is where the AGI decides to eradicate humanity somehow. This is a whole topic, but there is a, a, large faction within Silicon Valley and certainly within the AI community of people who are very worried about the sort of extinction level capability. But there are also just the the second order effects and downsides that we know will happen, disruption to jobs, changes to the economy, AI in the hands of groups who are like terrorists or malicious state actors, you know, weapons like bioweapons, all of those things are kind of on the spectrum of bad things that could happen and we're not quite sure how. And on the other side of the argument, you have the accelerationists um, who you'll see represented as EAC. And this movement has sort of been developed in opposition to effective altruism, which is another, I guess, rabbit hole we can go into. But EACs basically say that the benefits of AI to humanity will be so great that the sooner we get there, the better it is. And any delay between now and achieving AGI or realizing the full capabilities of AI dooms people, millions or potentially billions of people. We could be curing diseases. We could be addressing climate change. We could be understanding valuable new physics, medicine, things that are going to radically increase human prosperity. Um, and, And the reality is that we actually don't know. I mean, the thing about human progress is we don't know yet what we don't know. So it's very hard to predict. Like 
think we're almost working in the area of prophecy. So there's some argument for making regulation to slow down or manage the uh, increase in our capabilities of AI. There's also the question of who makes that regulation and whether they're even capable of doing so. So yeah, I thought it was really interesting. We had a good chat on our team and we even did a little internal poll to see what the sentiment was. And the team was pretty evenly divided between go faster and go slower, which I thought was kind of mm -hmm. interesting. There's not really a, a strong consensus one way or the other. I think what's interesting yeah. is this illusion that um, if everybody says slow down, that everybody will. There's already open mm -hmm. source LLMs mm -hmm. and people pushing this. So the danger I see, I think I'm team go faster for the reason that if we're all agreeing to go faster anyway, it's everybody's got their eye on it versus everybody mm -hmm. saying, okay, the people are slowing down the system. Whereas like in the background, the actual hackers and the, the science engineers and shit are building this stuff anyway, whether you want them to or not, you can't stop them. Right. So it's like, then AGI comes up when nobody's expecting it. I'd rather everybody be aware of exactly what's going on. Eyes wide yeah, open. Totally. Yeah. I feel like the only way to stop a bad guy with AGI is a good guy with AGI. Exactly. Right. Analogy. I, do have my doubts about whether AGI will ever be scary, if that makes sense. Maybe I just don't understand it well enough, but this idea that like, okay, I can write some code that maybe can write some more code and, but I have it running in some kind of environment is the fear that the thing we make will no longer run in the environment that we put it and will start to influence other environments. I guess just how does AGI break out and harm us? Like that whole thing, like yeah. just unplug the machine. I feel yeah. like we can air gap the AGI and I don't know, it just, for some reason, it's not that scary to me. What is scary is people maybe putting intelligence into robots with guns. And okay, now those robots are deciding That's to kill scary. us. But really, it's not the robots deciding to kill us at that point. It's the people who put the you know instructions into the robots to kill the people. So we're it's still just, back to the same old thing. The Terminator. That's just all that it is. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think it's, <laughs> That's the lead. I think, I think it's more subtle than that. So... Like for me to connect to many different servers is trivial, right? I use SSH. I can go to AWS, to DigitalOcean, to Heroku, to Azure, if I really fucking want to. And there's nothing <laughs> stopping my AGI from doing that, right? It can SSH, spin itself up, write its own code. I don't know that exists anymore. I didn't know it made a DigitalOcean. I didn't know it SSH'd in there. And once it's on that box, where does it spread out now from there? And how do we differentiate who, which ones are human run virtual private ser servers versus AGI run ones? Right. So then now you have this massive bot network that is intelligent enough to spread itself. So it can't be stopped, which isn't, un, that's not, that can happen right now. Yeah, it's just right? like a virus. Yes. Exactly. But then people are like, oh, what if we give them robots with guns and stuff? Humans are way squishier than that, man. They don't need robots to run around and shoot yeah. everybody. They just what log into the water treatment system, dial up the chlorine for everybody that one day, everybody drinks it and dies or something like that, right? It's like, I, I think it's way more intelligent than going like, why would we build a bunch of robots? They're all just drinking this water, fucking poison the water and they're dead. <laughs> Honestly, the argument of getting robots guns, the just giving humans guns is also so scary. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not scary. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess in the event, okay, so in the event, I'm going to play this mind game. The AGI gets into our public services, our municipal water supply. Then the AGI, assumedly, if it's more intelligent than humans, it knows that it depends on humans for its existence. 
So does it somehow enslave us? Does it poison the water for all the people who are not helpful for keeping the machine alive? But all the like public service workers and people who keep the plumbing going to get the poison water to everyone and yeah. people who keep the networks going. I don't know. Does do those I mean, this the AGI the whole, chooses to spare those people? Yeah, field of alignment, right? Is how do you instill values in AI so that it its values closely mirror human values and what are human values and how do we describe those? I, I mean, also, it's obviously complicated to even define. That we're assuming that AI also wants to live, right? Because like, yeah. that's what yeah. we want as humans, right? But what if its job is to save the planet? And that includes the humans and eventually the AI, because it's like, I shouldn't be here. I'm just as bad. So I'm going to destroy the humans and myself and let the planet go back to dirt. Yeah. yeah, that's like the paperclip maximizing argument, right? If you just tell it to produce a bunch of paperclips and eventually humans are just in the way. I, I mean, know, I think sorry, Lisa, go ahead. I was just going to say climate wars are in the future no matter what, I think, in this scenario, especially in Canada. That might be bleak, but... Yeah, and I feel like technology, it's not inevitable that we have technological progress, but it's also very hard to stop it. So it does matter who does it. And personally, I'm suspicious of any of our legislators ability to decide how this should be done just based on watching them respond to like social media or the housing crisis, right? We clearly regulate housing. How are we going to do AI? AI. uh, Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think about when Zuckerberg was in Congress and one of the, it was one of the senators said like, well, if people don't pay to use your service, how do you make money? And he was like, we serve ads, sir. Uh, so just the level of technological sophistication of our politicians doesn't inspire yeah. me to think that's the answer, but I think we are, we're going in this direction. So it, it does matter who's in charge of it. And I think there's also an argument for contact with reality is how we'll learn because it's very hard to just, you know, think through and derive all of the things that will happen as a result of releasing AI in our mm. imagination um, and I guess the other question is, will we have time to react? And and that's sort of a technical question too. Do you think that if things start to go wrong, we'll see it coming and have time and the ability to do something about it? So it's a very deep technical argument and I'm not going to pretend to have PhD level understanding of the different cases, but um, yeah, I think going to be a topic for a long time to come. I guess in the meantime, just say please and thank you to your smart Google devices. Home. Tell me, appreciate that. I do. Sometimes. Yeah. Do you guys say please and thank you to like yeah. ChatGPT? And yeah, yeah. it's so Canadian, right? Yeah. And sometimes I, I'll write I do, sorry. but for a different I meant it reason. This way. Or can you do it? Sorry. I should have explained that better. Can you do it this way, which is also very Canadian? I do it for a different reason, not because I worry the AGI will eventually kill me in my sleep, but because I'm often typing to it and I don't want to get into the habit of not using proper sentences Mm. and polite language when I'm typing. I just say please when I ask a question, you know, and I don't want to break that habit. So it's more to do with interacting with humans. I'm kind of the same at home. It's like when I ask our Google Home to play music or do stuff, I'm the same way in that my kids are watching me and I want them to to learn good habits. I'm like, you're talking to someone or something, have some respect. It's it's just like a dog. A dog's not a person, but you're not rude to it, right? I, I think it's just like, instilling that like human values right doesn't Mm -hmm. really matter like just have some respect right so i have noticed too they'll be like hey google can you play this please you know i'm like okay we're we're teaching kids like values here i like that should we wrap on that note 
Yeah, I was going to say, I'm sure within the time we record this next week, a lot of stuff will probably have either come out or changed on this topic. So I'm sure we can do a, let's call this part one. Part one. Let's do part two next week. Sounds part great. Many. Let's dig into more of it next week. Okay, Google, stop. All right. Please. <laughs> Please. And thank you. All right. I feel Bye, like friends. we all got work to do. You want right. to get back to it? Let's yeah, do it. Yeah. Right. Ciao. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thanks. Later.